Live at Bar Canada inside the D Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. I've been watching a lot of TikTok, as I pointed out, and you all laugh at me. I've almost been here half my life. Wow, you're old. What are you talking about? You've been here know. more than half your life. Way more. You're old. True. I found out that it's actually R-E-A-D, not R-E-D. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go on a Monday. Cofield and Company, Cofield, Adam Hill, Angel, down here at Bar Canada, adjacent to the Circa Sportsbook, Bar Canada inside the D. Five o'clock puck drop tonight. Wild on the docket. These are big games. We know the Wild have been a difficult matchup for the Golden Knights. Adam Hill will break the game down in just a little bit, but uh, let's get to our trending at two, reacting to the weekend first with the Golden Knights, and then tons of NFL draft today. Ah, they lost. Huh? What the hell? They lost a game. What's wrong with the Knights? Sad. It was devastating, <laughs> depressing, awful news for everyone involved. The Golden Knights' win streak came to an end. It was going to happen at some point. You can't win every single game ever. Uh, but yeah, it was a uh, you know it was a good run for the Golden Knights to really establish themselves at the top of the division, at the top of the Presidents Cup standings. Um, it was a game I don't think they wanted to lose, especially because there were so many fans there that were from Las Vegas uh, that came down and made the trip. I know. Uh, uh, we actually sent both of our writers down there just to document just the experience of basically the Golden Knights takeover uh, of Gila River Arena, uh, which happens every single time they play down there because fans are allowed. The tickets are a lot cheaper. It's an easy day trip, and there's Golden Knights fans everywhere, but the Golden Knights could not get that win in the first of the back-to-back games. They did bounce back and uh, blew a late lead on Saturday before uh, before winning it in overtime. But, uh, yeah, the win streak is over. The... The dream run. It's not going to go all the way through the end of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Not going to happen for the Golden Knights. Mark Stone. Yeah. Sense of humor. Uh, yeah, I, I actually really laughed. And it's funny because Mark Stone, not the necessarily the funniest of guys. Like, there's a lot of guys that will crack jokes after games and make you laugh with some of the stuff they say. Mark Stone, not usually that guy. But I thought his line was amazing after the loss on Friday when they asked, hey, Win streak's over. This kind of sucks, right? And he said, I mean, we're not the Harlem Globetrotters. <laughs> we're going to lose at some point, which I, I don't know if it's the funniest thing ever, but it really made me laugh because it's Mark Stone and because he's, he's not really that tight necessarily. I thought that was, especially in the context of having just lost for the first time in like a month, uh, I thought it was hilarious. It really made me laugh. Meanwhile, the defending champs in the NBA having a really tough time. In a tie for fifth in the Western Conference, but I guess tiebreakers would have them really at seven. So if the Lakers' season ended right now, they'd be in the play-in tournament. We'll get to LeBron's opinion of the play-in tournament. It ain't good. It ain't good at all. But, uh, yeah, Lakers having a tough time because, one, LeBron's not 100% healthy. He had to leave the game over the weekend. And now uh, we find out that Schroeder's down for some reason. Hopefully it's not COVID. That would be a disaster. I mean, it seems like it. Why is that? Um, I mean, it's it's a undisclosed reason of being out for 10 to 14 days. Oh, they already said it was 10 to 14 like, days. Okay. I, I mean, it seems to me like it is. Now, he did have a earlier exposure, uh, which I didn't. I don't think there was a positive test. Uh, but it looks like he will be missing about two weeks here for the Lakers. And I, listen, at this point, you, you don't know. 
it seems like a pretty fair guess of what happened. I, you know, and, and this is not a great time for them. Like you said, they're trying to rally and try to stay out of this play-in tournament and, and trying to, you know, I, I think the most important thing is to be playing well going into the postseason, more so than seeding or anything like that. But they are trying to, uh, you know, to get things to a point where they're ready for the postseason and they really don't want to play in the, in the play-ins. So this is a key time for them. And, you know, LeBron is back, AD's back, kind of. Like, they're still trying to feel themselves a little bit, but this is the time they should start to make a run, and now another guy down. Knights are minus 118 here at the Circa Book against the Wild on the road. That's a 5 o'clock start, and then a 7 o'clock start. Lakers catching five against the Denver Nuggets, and no LeBron expected yeah. in that one, no Schroeder. So not great right now, not great right now. Fun times over the weekend. Kentucky Derby got a little swallowed up, at least for me. Uh, on Saturday, I had the TV on. I was kind of running around the house watching the draft. Which, by the way, I really enjoyed the Saturday draft set up and show on ESPN. It was very casual. Sure. But if you're a football junkie, it was a lot of fun. You never, They'd go at each other. Then they would – it was kind of like a talk show, actually, because then they would go back to subjects from the first round – uh, McShay hates Kuiper. I don't know if Kuiper hates McShay, but they, they go off on each other. That was fun. And honestly, I got kind of swallowed up in it, and I never turned on the derby. Um, so I missed the whole internet hoopla, even though I didn't need to see it on TV, with, what, there were two NFL quarterbacks there that we know of? I saw Brady. At I least, saw the picture. I saw the picture two, of Brady. Yeah. I mean, this is, a, this is a real, you know, event, especially for the NFL, for whatever reason. Uh, because it's always around the draft. It's during the offseason. It's a big uh, opportunity for them to get away. And I think all these events are, are chances for people to get away that haven't really been able to go anywhere and go out in the public for a long time. Uh, so, yeah, it seemed like everybody's having a good time. Brady and Rogers both there. Rogers uh, saw a lot of people saying he looked like a like a 1920s detective trying to track down a mobster. Uh, that's about the look that he was, that he was going for there. I, I will say real quick on the Derby, when you said you kind of missed it, it was a really weird experience for me. Um, you know, broadcasting from a sports book on Saturday all day and just kind of like the build up. Like during the day, you just see more and more people that come in and you can tell who's there to watch the Derby. Uh, How so? They're 90. Uh, but but they, they're coming in and some of them have hats on and, you know. Well, you're at the South Point, right? Right. So they've got a whole dedicated, they got a pretty big, they still have it, right? The, the big horse book? Yeah, but uh, we were on the sports side in that oh, okay. bar, like yeah, just yeah. off the sports book. And so we're there, we had our, our broadcast set up all day. And just more and more people coming in, and some of them are in the in the derby hats, and they're ready to go. And then it's like building up, building up, building up, and then all of a sudden the race happens, and you're like, okay, that was it. No, now we're done. <laughs> now it's over. But there was like that two minutes of just craziness or excitement, and then it's over, and then and then they go away. It was it was it was weird, but I mean I, that's the reason that I that I saw it. As you said, like you just never switched over because you were on the draft, and that's what most people were. If I wasn't in a book, I, I wouldn't have switched over the TV to the derby so it was cool to kind of see it and have it have it there and have it right in front of me and, and experience it and watch it um but then it was just over and there's no like like when there's you know a football game that's like a great game or like a basketball game that's a great game if you're in a book it doesn't just end like it, it ends and everybody's like oh man look at, and they're breaking it down talking about it. like the derby ended it it was done and i was like oh, really no vibe afterwards right. no no like all right well, i wonder why it. just the age of the most of the fans maybe and then like i guess there's not like a, there's not like really a debate. I mean, I don't think anybody can break down like jockey tendency of like, I don't even went to the whip too early there. You're like, all right, did he? I don't know. Nobody's a jockey. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? 
I think there's that, there's that that element of it. Like everybody thinks they're a basketball coach and a football coach and a, you know uh, you know a strategy guru, so they want to break that down with horse racing. Uh, you just don't really have that. I'm I'm sure there are those people. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure they're out there. that are like. You know, ah, he went to the inside, and then he started. He went to the whip too soon. Like, all right, I, I guess. But you don't have enough people to, to really have that debate with that that think they know what they're talking about. So on the NFL draft, let's uh, deep dive in a couple of minutes on what the Raiders did on Saturday. In general, what do you think of the Saturday draft hall? Um, I thought. I thought it wasn't terrible. I, I mean, it's clear what the Raiders do. Like they, have I thought their own. it. I thought it wasn't terrible. It wasn't terrible. I mean, I, I know that based on you know consensus, big board, and you know best available players, that sort of thing. It probably wasn't great. But you also understand what the Raiders were doing. Um, they were trying to find guys that have a certain skill. For one thing, uh, they were trying to find just defensive players because they do kind of have their lineup. And and we talked about this that you have. You needed a tackle, you needed a safety to completely starting lineup, so to so to speak. Now, what you want to do is draft guys that are better than the players you already have, and then they're starters, and that's how you continue to build a team. But they had the starters, and then it was like, all right, just find guys that can either fill a role or that have a certain skill that will help you out. Just defensive, you know, players. You need playmakers. You need people to do something on the defensive side of the ball. And then they went out and, and found a guy like Malcolm Kuntz who has some question marks as to whether he can play three downs. I don't think he's ready to right now. But he's got one skill set. He can get to the get to the passer, and they believe that they can take, you know, based on based on his skill set and his body and what he can do. They believe that they can make him a guy that can get to the quarterback on a regular basis in the NFL. And I don't think they necessarily care that he's not really a three down guy. So right now, kind of a poor man's in Gakway. What about all the what about all the safeties? Because I want to get to Coons in a little bit. What about all the safeties and cornerbacks? Uh, well, I think, in, especially in regard to the safeties, like, uh, Devon Diablo is a, he's a linebacker. Right. I mean, he's listed as a safety, but I, I think he has to How play big? linebacker. 6'3", 225? Uh, a little, he's a little bigger than that. Yeah. But but I think, like, even though he was, he played safety in college, I don't think he can in the NFL. I think he's more linebacker type. Uh, but we'll see how he projects. Now, he's he's got a skill set. I mean, he can run and he can hit. And so... You know, do you bring him in and try to figure out what to do with him? I, I think there is kind of that. Is this Tanner Muse? Like, so he's big. Of? He's big. Uh, Gillespie's smaller. Yeah, that would be a strong safety candidate. I would think so. Okay. I think that's so. Then that's, that's really a challenge play. for Abram. Sure. Oh yeah. Then you got a cornerback and Hobbs out of Illinois just to get someone else in the mix. And I would assume there there's going to be a battle because the Raiders have really had the same collection or very similar collection of backups. The last couple of years, a cornerback, and sometimes they let him go, and then they resign him. Like this has got to be competition for the guys who are there. Like it's go time, or we got to move and go younger. Well, I think in, in particular Gillespie, like yeah. that's a guy. That, that that guy is Abram. Like he projects as Abram. Right. And so I think if you're, you know, if you're sitting out there, and and you know, I th- I was on a couple of different calls this week with different coaches, and uh, jumped on some of the press conferences, and you hear like the same thing from everybody. Like that this was not a. This pick was not a challenge to one player. This was not about one player. This is about making the team better. Everybody says that. It's a challenge. But Gillespie is Abram. Right. Like, there, there's no question. It's a challenge. They got. They have to have other guys to challenge John Abram, or they're going to have to move him out of the position into uh, other parts of the field. So as the weekend went along, reacting to the Alex Leatherwood pick at 17, initially on Thursday night, lots of folks were like, what the hell's going on here? He was, you know, in most mock drafts. 
He was a guy who was between, you know, 35 and 45. You could have got him with a second-round pick. And I feel like the narrative changed on Friday because then it softened the blow a little bit because it's like, well, you wanted uh, Trayvon Merrick anyway, so you got him, so you made up for the first-round pick at 17. And then I heard a lot of defenders come in over the weekend of Leatherwood. So, what the, like, how do you judge the Leatherwood pick? Because to me, just because you like Merrick and we've, you know, a lot of people feel like, hey, the Raiders did a really good job getting aggressive, moving up, getting the number one safety on their board, number one safety on a lot of boards. He was the third safety overall, you know, taken in the draft. So how do you kind of come to grips with Leatherwood may have been taken too early and they could have traded back and gotten value, but they got Merrick. So look, you got the two guys. You're good. Well, they, they could have got Leatherwood and Merrick and additional picks because, you know, Mayak said Thursday night, we were on the clock. Another team called us up, offered us a trade. They wanted to move up. We thought they wanted, they potentially wanted to take Leatherwood, so we didn't want them to do that. So we said no. Now my thought would have been, I believe this is not. This is just based on how how the rest of the draft played out that night. I believe it was the Vikings who had traded down, then they wanted to trade back up, and I believe they wanted to take Derisaw. Which the Raiders? Why do you believe that? Probably should because he was the better prospect at tackle. But we don't know. We haven't had anyone say, "Hey, the Vikings had Darisaw ahead of Leatherwood." No, no. But I, I mean, it, it was a it was a pretty consensus decision, and for reasons. I mean, Leatherwood projected Leatherwood is a really really good tackle. May, may have been the best tackle in college football last year, but he didn't project the same way to the NFL because a lot of teams thought he'd have to move to guard. And guards don't get drafted in the same value as as tackles do. And the Raiders said, "No, he's our tackle, so we're taking him here." So, so the way this worked out, the Raiders stonewalled the Vikings, and then the Vikings still got the guy they wanted. In my opinion, yes. But again, when we talk about values on the board, and this is what people get caught up in, like I am all about value. I I will scream about value all day. But I also concede and acknowledge we don't know. Like you don't know what the what the value is. You don't know what another team had. You'll never know those things. So if indeed the Vikings wanted Darisaw and they would have traded up and gotten Darisaw and the Raiders still could have got Leatherwood, then yeah, no matter how good Leatherwood is, it was a bad decision by the Raiders. Those things play out. But I, I also acknowledge, and some people don't get this part, that we we will never know who they were gonna take, what the board how the board played out who other teams thought were up there. We just know what this consensus is that's out there, and then a lot of people just take that as Bible and move on and say, hey, that was a bad decision because this person said this guy was higher on the board. You don't know what that. You don't know if that's the case. Maybe the Vikings did want Leatherwood. Maybe that's maybe that was the issue. Uh, but we'll never know that. But I would have said if you could have got Derisaw and Merrig, that would have been a perfect first and second round. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. We need to get a lot better on defense. We recognize that. We hope to get a lot better this weekend. We got three picks tomorrow. We're excited about each and every one of them. So, again, I, I'm, I'm hoping that the board comes to us and that we can take a three really good football players tomorrow. Hanging at Bar Canada inside the D. It's Cofield and Company. That was Mike Mayock on Thursday night talking about the plans for Friday with his second and two third rounders. So he winds up getting help at all levels. Talking about Friday with Merrick at safety, free safety. Safety slash linebacker in Diablo 
and then edge rusher. We'll just say edge rusher, right? Depending on what alignment they're in in Malcolm Coots. I'm looking at grades for the draft because I want to get back to Leatherwood too because there's still a lot of discussion about what the Raiders did with Leatherwood and if someone right behind him was going to grab him. Lots of grades out there. I'm looking at this one. Uh, B grade. B grade, according to this guy. Uh, day one grade, B plus. That was Leatherwood. Day two, A. Day three, the grade was a C, but overall grade was a B. Now, that same person, this is on NFL.com, gave one C to the entire league. That was the lowest grade overall. And gave between A plus, A, and A minus, 20. <laughs> 20 of the 32 had better than an A minus. Quite a curve. On NFL.com. So, by giving the Raiders a B, but he slammed them. <laughs> slammed Sounds them. like an F. <laughs> I know What's the grade uh, you've seen most often? C? For the Raiders? Yeah. Wow. Um, okay. And that's, by the way, I, I think people will be like, See, that sucks. That, that's average. It, it was I know you try draft. to you try to explain this all the time. I know, but I always yell at you. I'm like, you, there's no way you look like you looked at a C as average. No, I didn't. A C is substandard for real students. No, no, a C I'm, is. Substandard. I'm not an average person, Steve. I'm an. I'm a, I'm a, yeah, but then you're saying it's I'm average. A scholar. Okay, but so I guess if you're saying it's average, you're saying you're way above average. So then you're actually a C is kind of crappy. Yeah, I mean, the expectation should be there. And, and I'll, I'll also say, listen, uh, when you talk about NFL.com gave, you know, the lowest grade was like a, a B-plus was like the lowest grade. What was the C? No, but I'm kidding about yeah, that. Yeah, it was but, a C to the Texans. Uh, but I, I actually just heard, you know, Mel Kuyper just on a show when I was driving over here, and he was saying uh, the lowest grade he gave was a C. He was like, everybody did fairly good this year. Okay. Uh, which I, I think is fair. I, I think there's certain things you could nitpick with a lot of teams, and, you know, I automatically uh, downgraded any team that took a running back in the first round because I think that's a cardinal sin uh, no matter what in the NFL. Uh, so, you know, there's certain things that people look at. I, I, I talked to um, somebody last night who I, I've had, like, an insane amount of debate over this draft. Like, we are, we've just been going back and forth for weeks because he's obsessed with the draft. And he was like, well, you only gave Cleveland such a good score because you love JOK. You thought he was great. They got him in the second round, so that's a good score. Yeah, that's how this works. If you take players that you're really high on, if a team takes guys you're really high on later in the draft and they stockpile people that you think are really good, then, yeah, you're going to give them a better grade. That's how all the all the analysis works. How else would you grade them? You're giving them a grade based on you know how you think the players are that they drafted and where they drafted them, and that's how it works out. So, of course, you could be wrong. And, dra- by the way, draft, ca- draft grades, even my own, mean nothing. Nothing. This is just like a chatter to have after the draft. Guys that we think are going to be terrible could be great. Guys that we think are can't miss, home run prospects could be awful. Draft grades mean zero. It's just a fun thing to do after the draft. I think it's fun to go back like four years, and you can see who just got their fifth-year option picked up and see what the grade was, a lot of it based on the first or second round selection. By the way, on the, the Spielman thing, uh, he's the GM Spielman thing, the uh, the Vikings thing with Darisaw, and if the Vikes – if the Vikes were the team trying to trade up, uh, Spielman did say it. I mean, he didn't say specifically to the Raiders spot, but uh, he did say 
on Darisaw. He goes, to be honest with you, we were a little tight in the draft room. Once we got down to about four or five picks, uh, when you went down to 23 like we did, and try to get, we tried to get back up because uh, we wanted to try to make sure we got Christian. So, I mean, now it, he could be lying. Right. All that can make sense. Right. He, it, could, he could just be pumping up Darisaw, but he, he, he certainly sounded uh, grateful because he said, to get a player like Christian, who we were considering at 14, not only fills a need on this football team, but he's a pure left tackle. I believe I had them taking him at 14. Uh, I, th- I thought he was really good. I thought there was three elite tackle prospects in this draft, and Darisaw was the third of those. And when he fell to the Raiders' spot, I can say that you know I was uh, I was live on the air uh, on do- doing the, some video stuff from the stadium, and it was like, well, th- you know, I, I kind of set set the intro. This could not have fallen any better for the Raiders. They're picking at 17. The third of the three elite tackle prospects has fallen to them. It's a slam dunk, no-brainer yeah. here. You go Christian Darisaw at number 17. Yeah, Darisaw and Merrick were there. Yep. Two players that could fill a starting need. I agree with you. You take Darisaw there. But, again, the question is, would anyone behind them for the next, you know, 20 or so picks, say? Um, and who knows how far they would have had a, They could have dropped yeah. from 17. Um, Jim Nagy, who's the senior bowl director, he said – he thought the Ravens were going to jump on Leatherwood. So that's a possibility. Yeah. Yeah, you never know. And then the Vikings got the, you know, the Vikings got the benefit of the Jets being all, you know, rodding up over uh, Vera Tucker. So sure. they were able to trade back and still get their guy, according to them. Now everyone says that. Right. And, and here's the thing. We, if we, the, other, the other deal with Leatherwood and being taken at 17, it, again, I, I don't know why Mike Mayock would fib if the highest-rated guy on your board is there at 17 – why would you trade back? But it was weird that he said it was a con- – we knew it would be a controversial pick, but if he's right. the number one guy on your board, right, who that, cares? But then I've, I've also read people said that they believe the Raiders may have had freaking Leatherwood ahead of every tackle in the draft. Yeah, I've, I've heard that. he that. could have been the number one guy for Penny Sewell yeah. and Slater. Which, I, well, well, now we can track. Darisaw, you know, we can – we'll get to Tevin Jenkins. That one's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> the Bears just cut one of their tackles today, so he's playing. Um <laughs> We'll track Sewell, how he does, but Slater especially, right? If they believe – and they didn't have a chance at Slater, but if they actually believe that Leatherwood was better than Slater, well, these guys are all going to be playing tackle. Leatherwood will be probably the only guy who plays – well, he'll be one of the guys who plays right tackle. The others are going to be left tackle for now. To me, Derisaw and Jenkins are the ones to track. Okay. Derisaw and Jen- – Derisaw, absolutely. Uh, and then Jenkins I had I had right behind him uh, as those next guys, and I think most people like, – I guess you were wrong. Like, you went in the second round. Yeah. You going to apologize? Apologize for what? I don't know. I've seen that, too, where Raiders fans are like, it's time to apologize for what, how good you thought these guys were and where they went. He slipped. I'm like, well, and the, well, the other great thing is it's time for the media to apologize, as if it's a monolith. And there's one, there's one spokesperson who's going to get up and go, I'm sorry for media member number 10,399. He reps all of us, even though lots of people disagree with him, and there's and a there, debate within the ranks. There also is, and, and this is this is a huge one because everybody that does this, and, and like I said, this is my second year doing the process. I know a lot of people have been doing it for a long time. Like you don't get access to all the information, right? Like uh, I was incredibly high on Owasu Koromoa, as a lot of people were, and he falls into the second round, and then I, I had to deal with some people that were like, "You love this guy. You thought he was great. You were clearly wrong." And then literally, what three minutes ago, the report comes out, like uh, teams were high on Owasu Koromoa. They wanted him. And around 4 o'clock on Thursday afternoon, they got the report, he's got a heart issue. And teams are like, uh, I, we don't have time to vet this. We have no idea. Uh, what do you mean? And they weren't able to take him in the first round. 
And so, like, we don't have access to those to that information either. And you don't know on a lot of these guys what could have come out. Did did Derisaw have like some knee issue that nobody knew, or something that could be on the on, on the horizon? And then that that's what happens to a guy. So uh, all these things that that are unknowns play into this draft process as well. Which, you know, we're never going to have that kind of information. We're never going to have that behind the scenes information until after the draft sometimes, and that plays into it as well. And you know, teams have a lot more info on people than we do. I love this stuff. It's great. And we will get more information on it. Like, you're, there is going to be more chatter about what the Raiders did from around the league. Oh, yeah. You know, you'll get more. It'll, it'll be sources, off-the-record stuff, or on-the-record, but sources, unnamed stuff. But people will tell stories about, you know, different players and different teams and, you know, what they thought of their draft. So it's coming. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, the Raiders, the, the same thing that the, we're talking about the Vikings of, well, the Vikings tried to trade up to the Raiders' spot to get there. I saw the Raiders were like, no, they might take Leatherwood. We're not going to trade down. Like this whole game that goes on, mm-hmm. the Raiders did it too. I mean, they they they, Mayock came right out and said, we you know we knew Dallas wanted Merrick, so we had to trade up in front of Dallas to take him. And Dallas was like, no, we didn't. And then Dallas went so far as to, I still think this is fake. Like when the Raiders took Merrick, yeah. the Cowboys' war room went ballistic, which I feel like was fake. Like they were they were like, yeah yeah, they didn't take our guy. Like I think they did. I think you were doing that on purpose <laughs> because you knew it was going to be on camera. Oh, no. But that's the kind of nonsense you get, and you never know what the truth is. That's funny. The whole thing is just, it's, it's so bizarre because we all, we, and when I say we all, I mean people, people that do it for a living and people that are just, you know, doing it from their couch because they're fans and they love it and they're into the process, but everybody thinks they know everything about the process, and we never end up knowing everything and, and again we like we base all these things about value and where guys should have gone and and how it is on how we think it was going into the draft and we have no idea how teams had them on their board as you said the Raiders may have had Leatherwood as the number one tackle we'll never know that we have our own grades Adam does he wrote winners and losers in the draft we'll get to that and we're about 15 minutes away from our weekly check-in with Dave Koken DC in the sunshine man as we talk a little baseball and some VGK as we get you ready for the Golden Knights game tonight at five o'clock Visit LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews. If you ask me who do I think had the very best draft, I think I would say the Chargers, if only because I think that they filled their needs exactly. The Steelers didn't wow me, Grania. And New Orleans, and Indianapolis and New Orleans were just okay, nothing special there. But I don't think anybody had one of those drafts where you said, boy, that's a D or a C minus. Uh, I gave nothing but C pluses or above. You're listening to Cofield and Company, live at Bar Canada Inside the D. Mike Greenberg, thinking the Chargers getting Asante Samuel Jr. And uh, Rashawn Slater was one of the best drafts in the 2021 draft. Kuyper on there as well, saying no one got below a C-plus. No one was horrible. These were the Raiders' grades. Um, According to a cross-section of different media outlets, Raiders' grades, Yahoo Sports B, USA Today C, Sports Illustrated C, Sporting News D, The Ringer C-minus, NFL.com B, Kuiper B minus B from CBS Sports. So, so between B's and C's, certainly no A's in there. Who, uh, when you did your winners, Adam Hill, who did you like in the draft? What teams did well? Well, I thought there was a, a clear winner 
but I also will probably think this team will win every draft every year uh, because I do think Andrew Barry, the GM of the Browns, is the smartest person in all of sports. Uh, I had them as the winners of the draft. Uh, a, I mean, obviously they put on a good draft. It was a fun event. They were at home. Uh, they took advantage of that uh, that stage. But um, what they did in the draft was incredible, including getting Owasu Koromoa in the second round. Uh, Greg Newsom fell to them, a cornerback which filled a need, and they didn't have to move to get him. Uh, I thought that was a really good pick. And, uh, and then they got Anthony Schwartz, which I don't think fits with every team. But Anthony Schwartz was the fastest player in the draft. Uh, ran a four, it was disputed, but let's say a four-two-six at, at the on the forty at the uh, the pro day. Uh, the guy's just incredibly fast. He can do a lot of different things with the ball in his hands. Uh, isn't the greatest route runner, but I think the Browns can figure it out. Uh, the way that they play, just kind of put him out of the field and let him make some plays. I thought they just did an incredible job. Uh, so I, I made them the winner. Uh, I thought the Dolphins were really good too. Uh, they were able uh, to, you know, stay, get to six. They had to trade and get down there. And I think that they thought when they moved to six, they were still going to be able to get either uh, Chase or Pitts. They didn't, but they did still get a weapon uh, in Jalen Waddell. Uh, and then, you know, I thought they got value where they picked in, in every round, including getting Javon Holland. They got Liam Eikenberg, who I thought was going to go much sooner. Uh, they filled needs on their team and didn't really have to move around a whole lot to do it, and they actually picked up some assets in the future. Uh, the Patriots getting a quarterback without moving. I, I don't like Mac Jones, but they didn't move to get him, and then they got Christian Barmore in the second round, and I, I think there was some character issues with Barmore that made him fall, but I think also Belichick and Saban trust each other enough that if Saban – I can almost guarantee Saban signed off on this – there's no way. There's no way he didn't. Yeah, and right. Bel- Belichick in muted tones. I'm sure was like, "You trust him, right? It's your, would, it's your ass, Nick. If he doesn't work out, I mean, he might have been like the he might have been a top 12 player in this draft in terms of talent. And it, would you be surprised at all? Like, I have no idea if this was the case. If Belichick's like, can you tell every other coach in the league that he's a problem? Just tell everybody else he's a problem. Let him fall to us in the second round. That'd be great. And he does. And that's incredible. And. uh yeah, I thought the Chargers were insanely good in this draft as well. Uh, getting Rashawn Slater to fall to them, fill the need that they absolutely had. Uh, and then as the draft went on, Asante Samuel is really, really good. Uh, and then I got Chris Rump, too, who I, th- I think can be a really good player, and they didn't have to uh, you know, do anything to get him. He fell to them in the third round, too. So that was good. And then I actually, I actually put the Lions on there, and the Lions weren't even, you know, there was nothing special that they did. I don't think you can look at any pick and say, wow, that was great. But they just—they have so many holes, and they were able to fill holes at every round. They were able to get talented players all over the place. And I think it just kind of says, hey, this is a new era for the Lions of just not being idiots, which is a, an improvement. Dave Kokins on the way next. We'll get his take on uh, what's going on uh, going into the game tonight for the Golden Knights against the Wild. And also, what has happened to baseball? I think they wanted to depress the numbers a little bit, but my God, there's, there are so many teams, entire teams, hitting below 220. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. Bryant swings and launches one to deep left field. Going back, Winker, he looks up, and this is gone. Chris Bryant gives the Cubs the lead. Three to two over the Reds here in the third. Now, back to Cofield and Company, live at Bar Canada inside the D. 
Man, oh man. Chris Bryant, hometown hero. Cubs played a dangerous game, didn't they, with him, with his contract, right? A little bit of chicken. A little bit, and he's out to a uh, 323 start. Nine homers, 22 ribs. He's on freaking fire. You hear the call there, courtesy of Zach Zaidman on the Cubs radio network. Nice call. Dave Koken, remember Zach? Remember Zach Zaidman? Yes, yes, I remember yeah. Zach very well. How about that, right? I remember, it's funny, uh, Zach Zaidman left Sports Fan Radio Network in like 98. I remember we had this jabroni of a boss who was like, yeah, Zach couldn't really cut it here. Like he went to Chicago, he was the Bears sideline reporter for like 10 years, and now he's one of the Cubs play-by-play guys. <laughs> couldn't cut it here. Yeah, he's done all right, buddy. He's done all right. All right, Dave, so uh, what do you think of Brian off to this freaking vicious start and the Cubs wanted to kind of jerk around with his contract? Maybe they can write something into the new contract where he gets to manage the team as well because he would be better than David Ross. It was worst managerial decision of the season yesterday. They might have lost the game anyway, but, um, I mean, he's got a runner at third in the extra inning, and it's the bottom of the inning. And uh, Nick Cassiano at the plate with a three-and-one count. How do you not walk him? That's, that's an absolute no-brainer. You just put him on. Uh, and probably put the next guy on as well to tie game. And uh, instead, uh, next pitch, Castellanos ends it uh, with a single. I, I just, like, you got to be kidding me. That's basic stuff. And he's a guy you want to stay away from because he's another guy. We're going through guys who've gotten off the hot starts in August. Castellanos has been awesome. Oh, I, he, he, this guy's good. Um, no, I think, especially with that ballpark, for half his game, that's a great hitter spot. Um, he's going to have a huge year. All right, so he's a good player. Then there's great players. So Mike Trout, like we expect Mike Trout every year to be really good. This year so far, though, has been insane. He's hitting 413. Now, that's actually dropped down a little bit because it seems like he was at 430, 440 for most of the month. Seven homers, 16 ribs. And one of the really interesting things I read, Dave, is that um, unlike many players around the league, you know, Trout had gone up, 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 up with the launch angle. He actually dropped his launch angle a little bit and has hit yep. a lot more line drives. He's a freaking monster this year. Is is he going to be good enough? Well, better said. Does he have the team around him to finally get to the freaking playoffs? No, because okay. they can't pitch. <laughs> I mean, you got to get the other team out. Yeah. And they, uh, they their rotation is just not very good. Uh, Dylan Bundy's okay. Good, he's a good pitcher, but he's not really a number one starter. Be better in a, in a as a two, Otani. You don't know what you're going to get, uh, and and now he's scratched again tonight. Andrew Haney, uh, flip a coin. Quintana's got nothing left. Griffin Canning hasn't really shown that he's going to be a consistent major league pitcher. That, that you just don't have the, the arms there. They're going to have to they're going to have to score a ridiculous amount of runs to make the playoffs. Uh, that's generally just not going to happen. Have you heard of? Um of the launch angle thing, you know, other players trying it, dropping it down instead of, you know, it's freaking – I'm not saying launch angle's a bad thing, and I hear, you know, a lot of old-timers, not saying you, Dave, but other old-timers like, this launch angle thing, I mean, it works for a lot of hitters. Have you heard of this changing across baseball with other dudes? I don't know. Uh, all I know is that, I mean, strikeouts are at a ridiculous rate, and I think that is very much in tandem with launch angle mania. Uh, make contact. Hit the ball. Not everybody is going to hit 40 home runs. Use the ballpark. Uh, 
Yeah, line drives go out sometimes too, but everybody wants to hit home runs, so we'll we'll get a record number of home runs and a record number of strikeouts. There's been more strikeouts than singles so far this season. So, you, do you think the the strikeout pace and the rate that we're seeing strikeouts is more on hitters doing things differently than pitchers just being better? No, it's it's the hitters. Uh, and and I, I think a lot of it is they're just not very good hitters. Just, uh, I'm, not, I'm not talking about their power output. If they were good hitters, there'd be no point in shifting on all these guys because they just go up there and go the opposite way and, and get hit. They can't do it. The, re- the reason they don't do it is they can't do it. They, well, they just have the same swing all the time. That is our good friend Dave Koken, the legend here with us uh from the D on this Monday. Uh, the NL East is just an abomination right now. What yeah. is going on, and who's going to step up and win this thing? You know, what's interesting is, uh, I don't think they're the best team, but if Strasburg comes back okay, you know, Washington, Washington might be able to pull this off. Um, because nobody else is looking real good. The Braves, I think the Braves are the best team, and eventually we'll get that division. Um, the Mets, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, at some point, you've got to think Lindor's going to break out of it. But he's just killing the team right now. And uh, and the Phillies just have too many problems. So it's wide open, and I guess it'll be entertaining, but it doesn't look like there's any real dominant team there. Actually, there's nobody dominant anywhere right now. That's The fun part of this is that, it, it, at least for the first month of the season, looks like it's going to be a really wide-open season. Even the Dodgers are struggling uh, to some extent. Now they lost Dustin May, who's going to have Tommy John surgery, so that didn't get better for them. Um, you know, uh, quality, if you will, but it looks like that, that type of season, and that's okay. Back to the Mets game, or Mets-Phillies for a second, the game last night. I swear, I had to watch that replay like 20 times. Ums actually got it right, correct? It went off the, the, yeah, the, the, the whatever, the crossbar, the rail, the railing. I thought it bounced off a seat. I, I, I swear, I watched it 12 times. I'm like, I can't see it. It's a home run. And, uh, you know, I saw uh, Hoskins in the dugouts, you know, F this, F that, F you guys, when they went to review it. But they got it right. Yeah, I, I thought it hit, hit a chair first. Yep. And then they finally got the freeze frame, and it's like, oh, it hit the railing. Uh, so, you know, good job by replay. They got that one right. Tough break for the Phillies. Oh, yeah. Well, they, they thought they had tied the game, and that Diaz had freaking blown another one. And I'm sure Mets fans' heads were exploding. And I, I knew, Dave, I knew from the beginning because I had a very sizable wager on the Phillies. I was like, that's not a home run. I, I can already tell you how this is going to play out. Much like you, as, as you're watching games, you know when you have a bet on it, it's just not going the right way. Yeah, you can tell. <laughs> um, and, and, again, by the way, why are you – Diaz doesn't pitch well in non-save situations. He how do you ex- Dave, why, I was going to say, bring him in with a four-run lead. How do you explain let the other, that? Let the other guy finish the game. Yeah. How do you explain it, Dave? Have you seen that before? Where there are closers who they come in with a four or five-run lead and they're just they stink. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's happened throughout time. Um, I, I I can't explain it. I, it's something mental, obviously. Um, I guess the adrenaline's just not flowing as much when you're not going to get that in. Uh, but Diaz got himself in immediate trouble last night. You could kind of see this thing starting to unfold, and it did. Uh, on the Dodgers, and no one's going to feel sorry for the Dodgers with, you know, their billion-dollar payroll, uh, having May out, having Price out. Maybe they already named it. Have they named a fifth starter who's going to go in there? 
I have not seen it yet, um, but they've got lots of guys to choose from. I don't think it'll be Price. Uh, well, Price won't be ready. Gonsolin, Gonsolin's hurt. So now they got to start going a little bit deeper. Could they go to their minors and bring up uh, Josiah Gray? I guess, uh, but I, I tend to think they'll go the bullpen route for the fifth starter. Okay. Dave Cokins with us. We do our DC and the Sunshine Man podcast on Friday nights. Adam, what happened with uh, Lazardo? I don't know if Dave saw this video game accident. Yeah, I got a little frustrated playing a video game uh, just before yeah. he went out there and uh, slammed his hand down <laughs> on a table in frustration. Yep. As you do, I do it. I'm sure everybody does it, except you shouldn't be doing it when you're a major league pitcher. And uh, now he's going to miss some time. This is, this didn't happen. The players in the old days, Dave, they were not banging their hands on tables playing video games. No, they weren't because they weren't <laughs> any video games. Uh, they, but they probably slammed their hands on something else. Uh, you know, people get upset and they slam their hands. I, 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 I know I've done it a few times, including many times when we were on the air and I had my <laughs> eye on a game that wasn't going well. <laughs> Uh, you know, that, that said, though, after the slow start and then the streak, the, uh, the Athletics, the A's have settled into a pretty decent start here at 17 and 12. They have, um, and they're a solid team. But this, is, uh, this isn't uh, because there is some inconsistency in the pitching staff, and the model of inconsistency is on the mound tonight. Frankie Montes, you really never know what you're going to get from him from one start to the next. When he's on, he's just really dominant, and when he's not, he's, he, gets, he gets crushed. Um, and he's facing a very hot Blue Jays lineup tonight. That, that might be the best game on the board tonight. Yeah, let's talk Blue Jays because their pitching's coming together. Uh, Robbie Ray, that's a bit of a revelation. You know he's got the arm, but they got him. it looks like they got him straight now. And also um, the, the other junior, you know, uh, Vlad Jr., big things were expected of him, and now he's freaking raking this year. Yeah, I think he got motivated in the offseason because you saw what great shape he came to camp in, and uh, he's just taken off. And there's plenty of talent around, and that's a good lineup right now. Uh, they sent one of their regulars from last year to the minors, Rowdy Kellis, because um, he just wasn't performing. And it's like, hey, we've got somebody else who can plug in in your spot. Randall Gritchick's hitting really well. Uh, they're going to be in this thing. Toronto's good. Dave Cokins with us. All right, Dave, what do you got on the game tonight? You, you playing it at all? I know, uh, you know you're pretty conservative with your plays. You're not going to be firing out every game. So Knights are 118 here at Circa against the Wild. No, I probably won't do much of anything this last week or so in the NHL. Um, you're going to see a lot of guys getting rest. And, you know, the teams that are in the playoffs are probably going to do a little load management. And the teams that are fighting for playoff spots are going to get overpriced. So I'll probably be mostly inactive until the playoffs start, and then we'll heat it up again. Um, I, I, I just have a lot of problem making plays when I don't know who's going to be playing. Dave, we appreciate a couple minutes. Thanks, man. All right, man. Have a good night. Yep. We'll see him on Friday. Dave Koken, DC and the Sunshine Man podcast. We'll come back in just a few live at Bar Canada as we're hanging out at the D, getting ready for the puck drop at 5 o'clock. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Wake up with baseball. Listen Sunday as the Nationals travel to New York to battle the Yankees. First pitch is at 9 on ESPN Las Vegas.